Welcome to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. In this series, we ask experts and thought leaders from around the globe, how do we build a more sustainable and inclusive world in this decade and beyond? Today, we're going to be talking about entrepreneurs with Ella Goldner, who's the co-founder of Zinc. Thing that really brought us together is the idea that there were like hundreds and millions of, of talented people that if we put them to solve the biggest societal issues we actually have a chance we tell people this is the mission these are opportunity areas we see within the mission and help people start thinking about how can they apply themselves to that mission if you are not representing the population you're trying to solve for it's going to be harder to reach the population and the users you're trying to solve for now, if we're going to have any hope at all of achieving the SDGs by 2030, it's clear that business and enterprise needs to play a really central role. So it follows that we need to get more of our best entrepreneurs dedicating their time and their talents to solving some of the world's biggest challenges, and then give them the support they need to really scale up these solutions. Zinc has built a model that does pretty much exactly that. So I've come to sunny northwest London to ask Ella how it works, what the potential blockers are, and how we get more brilliant entrepreneurs building businesses like these. So when we started Zinc, the motivation or the problem we're trying to solve was really how do we make sure that we address some of the biggest societal issues of our time? The thing that really brought us together is the idea that there were like hundreds and millions uh, of, of talented people that if we put them to solve the biggest societal issues, we actually have a chance. We thought there were a few ingredients that were really important. So one is the talent. We thought that we don't have necessarily the right people working on these problems. So how do we get the best talent in the world to feel motivated, to feel excited by the opportunity of working on some real big, important societal issues? The second thing was that we thought that people were working in silos. So you have people trying to solve that in, from within government, people in academia researching the problems, people working in charities and NGOs. However, we felt that they weren't coming together. There was no uh, oasis, if you wish, where they could all come together um, to try and work in an in interdisciplinary way. And also what we noticed is some of the people that were trying to make a difference and build new ventures, new solutions, new innovation in big societal issues didn't necessarily have the right um, science behind them. So we wanted to make sure that the companies that we can later on build will have the right evidence and body of support and a body of evidence and science that will make sure that they actually go on to achieve what they're trying to achieve. So we were trying to kind of solve a few things together, um, but mainly the real kind of drive behind all of it was to, big, to solve big societal issues in a different way, in a commercial way that is relying on time. And can you explain briefly how the model works? Yeah, so the model works in the way that we put out a manifesto. Um, our manifesto is really kind of a, a call to action, if you wish. It's a state of play of the situation. We tell people, this is the mission. These are opportunity areas we see within the mission and help people um, start thinking about how can they apply themselves to that mission. So for an example, um, the one that we currently have, the venture builder that we have running is around um, transforming businesses that have most impact on our environment. So we're looking for people to build solutions for businesses to enable them to either reduce their um, current uh, harm on the environment or to improve it. Uh, then we ask people to apply. So we have about a thousand applications for every kind of cohort. So we have to put the word out. We try to get people to kind of um, tell other people about it. 
And then through a rigorous kind of uh, process, we find the 70 people who will join us on the first day of a new venture builder. And then they have six months basically to navigate through two things really. Who is the person they want to be co-founding a business with? So finding a co-founder that is equally passionate about the problem they want to solve. And then they're trying to also navigate within the mission, within the context of this mission, what is the real specific problem they want to be you know, solving and dedicating hopefully the next 10 years of their lives. So that takes some time. And that's why we give them six months to do those two things. Mm -hmm. And if they're successful by the end of the six months, they will have found a co-founder, they will have found a problem they're really passionate about, and they've shown some traction in terms of how they're going to go about solving it. They have an idea and a, an approach to, to solving that. And that venture builder includes not just them, uh, those kind of 70 people, but also 100 what we call visiting fellows. These are experts, people that are here to support them. They might not be able or want to leave their full-time job or academic kind of position, but they want to be part of that kind of horde of people who are trying to solve this. And so they volunteer their time, they do office hours and workshops, they provide advice, they provide connections, they might have a really specific skill and experience or expertise that is relevant. And we also have about 25 to 50 executive coaches per cohort. They work with the entrepreneurs and then with the teams. So again, um, people who are motivated by unlocking human potential, so they're really drawn into the talent. So imagine on the first day you have about 200 people all united by this one mission, and we're all going together on this kind of six-month journey. And at the end of it, we're looking to fund, further fund another set of about 15 ventures that will come out of that kind of board. And we also provide a stipend. So we pay people a stipend so they can take that financial risk because we know that not everyone is able to take that time off from work mm -hmm. or relocate and not have any income. So we're trying to make that a bit easier to them. And there's more diversity of the founders who can join us in building ventures. And are these generally people who already know they want to be entrepreneurs? It's a really good question. I think they know, so either they know that they want to be entrepreneurs and they want to do something in this mission, or they're really, really motivated about getting something down about this mission and entrepreneurship is a way for them to achieve it. Some of them will recognize themselves as entrepreneurs because they're second, third time uh, entrepreneurs. They've started stuff before. They understand what it takes to build a venture. They may have done it in other domains and now they want to do it in something that they care about. Or people who build kind of commercial businesses within corporates and teams or did marketing. So some people come from a commercial side of things and it's easy for them to translate that into becoming an entrepreneur. But then the other side, which I think is also exciting, um, is the side of people who worked in the impact side of things. So maybe worked in policy or research in academia or uh, NGOs and charities, public service. They've seen the problem firsthand and they feel really frustrated by the lack of innovation, the pace, the inability to scale. And so they come here and those are usually the people who wouldn't necessarily see themselves as entrepreneurs. But when the, this opportunity presented itself, when they saw people like them who have started companies in our portfolio, they think, oh, she looks like me and that could have been me. Then I think that really inspires people to take that risk. So I think that is really exciting because these are people that are actually have a really good understanding of the problem, of the opportunity, how to make it work. And if matched with the right person, that really unlocks and unleashes a lot of innovation. I think given the challenge we're trying to solve with, with Zing, the, the societal issues that require um, require a deep understanding of the problem. You need to understand how you do it in a way that is commercial, that is scalable. There are a lot of very different elements that are hard and each of them is, requires a huge kind of experience and expertise and level of understanding. If you want to create a company that is by design has this kind of at least two of those three deeply rooted in experience, expertise, understanding, you need, you need at least two people. 
Uh, I think also, you know, it's a really, really hard journey. I think just going on it on your own is really hard and, and, and there is a real danger that people just break through through the um, the journey. So I think when you have another co-founder who can, you know, when, when it gets really hard, you can let go, they pick yeah. it up and vice versa, I think increases the chances of those companies succeeding. But I think that level of communication, trust, it takes time and therefore our venture builder is a six months process because it allows people to really build that trust and conviction and also align on what kind of business you want to build. How, how it's going to scale, how is it going to achieve its impact in the world. And how do those 15 businesses get, or however many of it is, get supported through the next kind of couple of years or whatever? So when we started Zing, we just said, that's it, goodbye. <laughs> so, um, and then we realized actually they stick around and they want to hang out together, but also with us. So we now developed the Accelerator, uh, which is another six months of um, quite a tailored uh, support. So they have uh, space here, they stick with us. We provide uh, support in terms of fundraising, thinking about their go-to-market, thinking about their products, talent, hires, advisors. So that's quite an intense and tailored uh, support. They stay together as a, as a core of companies. So again, there's a lot of peer-to-peer support and part of being part of the ecosystem, again, the fellows and the coaches stay involved. And after the first six months, they move into our portfolio. And then again, we provide support. It could be access to grants, um, they might come in for a workshop to think about the way they measure impact. It could be about they have a senior hire. They want us to kind of help them think through. We don't take a board position, but we might be able to advise on strategy or actually how to work well with your board. So really depends on the company. But we are seeing ourselves as their first ever investor on their cap table, but also a partner to them. You're listening to Bridges 2030 Visions, a series about how we accelerate progress towards a more sustainable and inclusive world over the next decade. And is there a good fundraising ecosystem for companies like this that are coming out of your accelerator program? So I think part of why we started Zinc was that we didn't feel there was a very, very good ecosystem. It was angels and then a bit of early stage. And our hypothesis was that it's going to grow as an ecosystem. So I can tell you that today there is uh, a much bigger pool of investors that are um, looking for those opportunities. If you look at the broader early stage and in general kind of um, investment space in the last, you know, six to 12 months, it hasn't been great. Uh, I think from everything we see, we hear, we know climate and the environment space hasn't uh, been uh, heard as much and there is still appetite to deploy capital and still funds that have raised money and need to deploy it. So I'm quite hopeful and bullish about the fact that, you know, those companies have investors and if they're good, um, they'll find some smart money as well. And are these investors specifically sustainability and impact focused or is it just that these are good businesses they want to back? So it's a collection. You have some more generalist funds who see climate as an opportunity because Mm -hmm. Um, it's interesting, it's growing, um, not enough innovation. It's, uh, and, and also I think people are attracted to the fact that it has a positive impact. So you have one side, the kind of more commercial agnostic generalist funds doing more of that. And then on the other hand, side, you have more specialist funds that are specifically looking at climate. Which bit of your process has proved to be the hardest? And is it the bit that you expected? I think um, one is around kind of finding the right co-founder. And I think what we try really hard to do is to make sure people don't jump into the first person they see who look like looks like them. Because the whole point, we think, of innovation is by bringing together diversity of thought. And we measure productivity. So have you made a lot of, like, did you manage to learn quickly? Did you manage to achieve a lot of things? So helping people 
frame it that way. The second thing is then when you're trying to solve problems that are not about you, if you are not representing yeah. the population you're trying to solve for, it's going to be harder to reach the population and the users you're trying to solve for. We've developed partnerships, for example. So we have partnerships with charities and foundations and research centers to help people be able to then get access to the users that may not be the people that they usually kind of uh, hang out with or represent. I think fundraising is hard. Um, you know, we talked about there's like externalities that are not necessarily tied to how the business is doing. But also, I think, for example, if you're uh, a founder from underrepresented um, kind of background, it is harder for you to raise at least the initial capital. Um, all the data uh, points to that. Um, again, we, we have different ways to do that by building uh, a very kind of active ecosystem of investors who can help with introductions, who can also give feedback, um, who can help with the fundraising in the early stage. I personally created another network that is uh, investing in women founders because I found the access point to be uh, a limiting factor. So I think there are more investors who are interested in that, but I think it is still hard to fundraise because people are still seeing the world as philanthropy, charitable, doing good, and then the commercial world is all about kind of hard-nosed business. And I think there are more of us to see the, the the overlap between the two. And actually, it's more than that. It's one plus one equals three. Um, but I think it's still not necessarily the case of most investors in the world. So how do we do this more at scale? How do we build a hundred zincs or a one zinc that's a hundred times bigger? So from our perspective, the way we are addressing it is we're doing more here. What we found is that the ecosystem is a huge part of our operating model, our design principles. So we built a really big, we have 20,000 people. So there's a people. big network effect. Exactly, 20,000 people now kind of, you know, part of our ecosystem advocating for us. So what we've decided from our perspective is to have more impact by doing more here. Actually, London and the UK is a really good place. We're able to bring talent in from across the world. So let's make this the best place to for people to experiment their ways to impact at scale. That's kind of our vision for Zinc as an institute. We went around, you know, a lot of the other venture builders blitzscaled around the world. And so we thought well, we should probably at least have a look at that. I think the challenge is you want an ecosystem that has the same ingredients like here, where you have the talent, the investors, the academia, the local government, national government, um, policy makers. You know, if you go to the US, it's very different. You have like, um, you know, the, the commercial hubs are not necessarily where you have the academic kind of yeah. uh, hubs, where you have the policy or the NGO. So I think it's a challenge when you think about other markets. So there are, I'm sure, other pockets and we are always keeping an eye on that. But for now, we feel that we've built a really unique ecosystem. It's really strong. And it has, as you say, this kind of, also we call we talk about internal network effect when one thing leads to another and those missions overlap as well. Is there more that government can do to help in terms of policy or incentives or regulation or education? So I think, I think overall as a country, I think we should do much more around how do we make entrepreneurship a valid kind of um, career choice which is about starting in school, but how do you get people more curious and understanding and, and working in, in those kind of environments from the outset? Uh, I think, again, from a diversity point of view, how do we make sure that underrepresented populations and founders specifically get, get access? I think we can do much more on the data side of things as a country. Um, we have wealth of information when it comes to, you know, the NHS on, on, on health. How can we open some of it to those companies that are trying to innovate and need large data sets? And um, I think we've seen a really good example when the um, government created the um, FinTech kind of sandbox where 
companies could really quickly think about how to use data and the whole side of regulation. So what can we do when it comes to other sectors like health and climate from, from a central point of view? And just lastly, do you think your job is going to get easier in terms of finding entrepreneurs over the next sort of decade? I think there is a collective of, of other people in the ecosystem who are doing it. So I think the pie is growing and I think more people are considering that. I think also specifically where we play a role in the mission-led uh, venture builder, I think more people are realizing that, you know, they don't want to get to their end of their life and have to reflect back and think, what have I done to help, you know, uh, society? So I think it's a, it's a point in time where people, I think, want to have their cake and eat it. And I think it's not that our job is going to be easier. There are other challenges that are coming and more probably competition who's going to see it. But, but I, think it is, I think it is the case where across the generation, whether you're a Gen Z or a millennial or a baby boomer, I think people are wanting to be able to have a meaningful career where they build things that matter as well as being kind of unapologetically commercially uh, ambitious. You've been listening to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, why not like, subscribe, share, download extra episodes, or even leave us a nice five-star review somewhere. Thanks for joining us. 